welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Father, today we thank you that we can come here today and be reminded of the great love that you have for us. God, I pray that grace would not just be the introduction of who you are in our lives, but it would be the sustaining force and the way that we understand you. Because there is nothing we can do on our own to please you, God. But it is through the grace-filled eyes of Christ that you now look upon us, God. And you, when you see us, you see the righteousness of your Son and our deeds which are like filthy rags in your sight. Now they have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now when we, though we are flawed and though we fail, we can use grace as an energizing force to wake up the next day and know that new mercies are awaiting us. And we can know you still want us, God. You still want me, God. And you're not like my family, God. And you're not like my friends. In fact, you're not like me because I don't even want myself sometimes. God, you still want me. You still want me, God. And it is your grace. You know, I'm so saturated in your grace today, God. And God, would we be a grace-saturated, a grace-soaked church so much so that when people walk in here, they don't feel as if they're being looked at, examined, and judged, but yet they know that there are broken people looking at them, knowing that they are not being treated as they should. We are not being given what we deserve. We have been offered so much by this bountiful God. How could we not offer it to others? And so today, God, let your grace make a statement again. Let your gospel be real again. And God, awaken our hearts to the truth. We need a fresh touch from you, God. Let the spirit of the living God fall fresh on this place. Let us be reminded of who you are today. And so, Holy Spirit, do the miraculous again. Speak again through men. Carry the words of flawed men. Holy Spirit, carry my words to the broken heart and carry my words to the person that has become proud. Oh God, do it again. Comfort the disturbed and disturb the comforted, God. Do it again. Do it again, God. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. You may have a seat. Well, we thank our worship team for just leading us and just conjuring up that sense that God is here, that tangible presence of the Holy Spirit. We just praise God for that. Well, if you're here and you're new today, we pray that uh, we are blessed by the worship. We also pray that we get a chance to meet you and connect with you. Um, we are in the midst of a, a series on conflict, and uh, we believe that um, talking about conflict shouldn't be just something we do on occasion. Talking about conflict actually is a, a calling for the Christian. Because conflict is the way that we understand, one, how we had a relationship with God. We were at enmity with God. We, were, we had done wrong, and God, by his grace, sent his son to die for us. And in dying for us, he gave himself for people that were undeserving. 
And that's us. And so conflict is the way that we came into a relationship. Someone had a problem with us and gave himself in order for that problem to not be an obstacle in the way of relationship. In other words, someone had to die for reconciliation to happen. And that's how we understand our relationship with God. And so in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible not only tells us we were reconciled with God, but we have a ministry of reconciliation. Each one of us have been given a ministry of reconciliation, that we should be known for being reconciled people, people that are working towards loving and understanding and knowing each other. In fact, the Bible says in John 13, we talked about it last week, what should be the brand of the church? How should be the church be understood? Is it because of our worship? Is it because we are creating this tangible sense that God is here? Is it because of the preaching? Is it that your mind has been renewed and the truth has stoked you up? Is it our community? Is it the fact that you know people and people know you? All those things are true, but there should be one cord to work throughout all those things, and that is love. The Bible says that we should be known for our love. In fact, I believe we have it up there in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so we should be a community of people that are not bound together because we like each other. <laughs> or we should not be bound together because we're alike. In other words, we must be a community of differences. We already are a community of differences. We are different. We have differences amongst us. And, and so the diversity in our body, um, in the body of Christ, is not just differences, though, just because of we have different preferences. I mean, that the Bible, and I talked about this several weeks ago, the Bible always goes back to this idea of love. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he's able to collect tax collectors and Pharisees and, and Gentiles and Jews and Samaritans and zealots and all these different, this, this, all this collection of people, but they are really outside of Christ. They're really a collection of enemies. Outside of Jesus, they'd never eat together. Outside of Jesus, they'd never talk to one another. The only reason why they've come together as a group of people is Jesus. And I believe that Jesus, this statement he makes is, is not just something he said to encourage us. I believe it is always the barometer of the church. It is always something we must go back to. I'm always praying that we become a more diverse church, diverse in opinions, diverse in the way we look, diverse economically, because the more that we are different and we're bending against our differences to love one another expresses that we really are together solely because of Jesus. Because the undercurrent of a church can be ethnicity or political affiliation. The undercurrent of a church can be where you're from and how you talk and how you sound. The undercurrent, the undercurrent, what's underneath. In other words, the, what, what, what people feel when they walk in. And they can feel like, well, I know what this church is about. Look at the way they respond to me. Look at the way they gravitate to some people and don't gravitate to others. It's the undercurrent of a church. And the undercurrent of our church cannot be political preferences, ethnic preferences, sociological preferences, economic preferences. What we are always bending to is the love of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us, and now what we do for others, no matter how you look, no matter how you sound, no matter what you believe. 
We are loving each other. That is not an option. That is a calling. That is the calling of the Christian. Imagine the church being known for its love. That is why we're in this series. Because I believe that we are in the most bifurcated or divided society that we've had in quite some time. And we can be an apologetic to the world by having diversity and unity at the same time. We will be an apologetic to the world. The world will wonder, what is it you do? Well, Christ died for me and I was an enemy of his. And he loved me and now I'm called to love others. And so last week we talked about the need to not only feel conflict within you, the anger that you may feel at times, but, but how to reconcile that anger. We talked about not letting the sun go down on your anger. And so if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I pray you do get to listen to it, not because it, it was greater by me, but I just believe that being able to deal with conflict, if you become a me- more effective at it, it's going to bless your marriage. It's going to bless the church. It's going to bless you at work. It's going to bless the way you operate with your kids. If there's one thing that I deal with in premarital counseling more than anything else, it's not communicate. People say communication. They're not talking about communicating like, oh, I don't know how to say hi to my wife. They're not talking about that kind of communication. They're talking about conflict. They're talking about working through issues, putting in the work. And so today, there are several things that we'll talk through. So this may feel like a workshop, and I hope it does, because this should feel like a lab. I I pray if you're taking notes, I pray you take notes. I pray that if this is, if you've never heard a sermon on conflict, if you've never dealt with, I pray that you 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 would commit yourself to learning to do this well. When people see my wife and I after 13 years of marriage, man, you guys just love each other. You guys just, we have issues. We just work through them. People are like, man, this church, ooh, I like it. It just feels, it feels like a family. We work through our issues. And you can ask my staff. You can, go to, you can go to people that have been with me the longest and walk up to them and be like, is James true? Like, no, we, we, work, we work through stuff. We put in the work. And so that, I want you to get better at that in your own life. You'll be blessed by it, and other people will be blessed by you. We said last week that the church has a tendency to fall into two buckets. Either we are peace-faking or we're peace-breaking. Peace-faking in the sense that we have a tendency to protect ourselves And I don't make it too much about that. I don't want to talk about it. But deep down inside, there's some real bitterness welling up in our hearts. And what ends up happening is we we sacrifice authenticity in the relationship. Or we're peace-breaking. We're willing to go at it, and we like arguing, and we, we, our minds move real fast, and we can create arguments very quickly, and we're very good at blame-shifting. And so much so that we end up sacrificing relationships themselves. And so because of those two buckets that the church tends to fall into, we are either peace-faking or peace-breaking, but either bucket that we fall into, either way, we struggle with having authenticity in our relationships altogether. 
So <clears throat> today, well, we're gonna talk about how do you make the approach when you know there's something wrong? How do you make the approach? And so the, the sermon will have kind of a two-tone sense. We'll talk about the pre-approach. What do I think through and what do I, what do I work through before the approach? And then we'll talk about the approach itself. Amen? Amen. You know, <clears throat> there's something, there's some verses in the Bible that without them being a verse, you think they're true. In other words, you didn't know it was a verse, but you think this is true. Proverbs 27 and 6, look at this. Faithful of the wounds of a friend, deceitful of the kisses of an enemy. You know that the people that love you the most tell you the hardest truth. But part of what makes this difficult is that we tend to enjoy flowery things said about ourselves. And so we actually like it better. We know it to be true, but we like it better if the faithful friend kisses me and the deceitful enemy wounds me. That's what we think in our head. In other words, only the, the, only the critics give me bad statements. They make me feel bad, and my good friends make me feel good, and so we have this good and bad. But really, you know the people that love you the most are willing to tell you the hardest truth. Or are you under the delusion to think that the people that tell you the hard things are the people that are really against you? God bless you. So, I mean, so one of the things that we, we have to keep in mind is that you know this already, but maybe you haven't experienced it enough. And so we have to work against this belief that hard truths aren't necessary. I believe that hard truths are the very foundation of deep relationship and friendship. Well, how do you know what to say? Well, and how do you know when to say it? Because, you know, there's, there's already tension. There's tensions here this morning, praise God, because y'all are different people. But how do I know when to say something? Well, <clears throat> part of what we want to do is take away this idea that I, I'm going to approach somebody because I'm trying to figure out whose fault it is. We can live at peace with one another when everyone's deciding that we are going to focus more on trying to find where the tensions are versus whose fault it is. Now, the reason why that is is because in my experience with tension and conflict, I can't really name a time where I didn't own some of it. Well, it was so, so I did, okay, if I hurt you, then it was something I said or something I did. In other words, there's some percentage that I had, and I think oftentimes we create this right-wrong split. In other words, that I'm trying to figure out all the wrong you did or all the right I have or all the wrong I had and all the wrong right, right you had. And, and what ends up happening is you get lost in just figuring out we're trying to understand each other. I, I heard once that... Uh, they often say that marriage is 50-50, but the truth of the matter is marriage is 100%, 100%, that we're both giving all of ourselves to the relationship. And so we don't really get caught up in whose fault it is. Certainly there are times when someone has done something and, and you need to let them know and acknowledge that. But what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to find where the tension is. I think we have a misunderstanding. And you may, this may be unintended, but I want to discover it. 
And so when we get outside of finding, when we're not making that our major thing, whose fault is it, but we're really just trying to find what's the problem. Let's look at this together as opposed to going versus one another. Let's look at this problem together so we can solve it together. Now I may approach someone who I'm not even sure if, I think they have a problem with me. I don't have a problem with them, but I think they have a problem with me. I was uh, working at a church, and I noticed this one guy. He, um, he was over the finances, and um, we, had, we had talked one time, and I promise you, he asked me, you know, what's, what's a good Bible to use, you know, in his Bible study? And I said, you know, the King James Version is kind of an older version. It was built out of 1611. You might want to di- you know, have a different version. And so I, 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 I think I said something to the effect of, it's not wrong if you use it. It's just not best. He took issue with that for two years. He was mad at me for two years. And, and so I, I started sensing, you know, I started feeling something. You know when you just feel a difference? And so I just, you know, I was there, I was worshiping one day, and it just, the Lord brought him to my attention. I said, hey man, you know, is it, are we good? Is there something going on? And he says, yo man, you know, just, I know this is silly, and I know this was, but I felt like you disrespected the Bible. I was like, oh wow, that was not my goal. And then he started to unpack all these different issues that he had had with me. And I've had that happen, and you have had that happen. Someone who had this whole reservoir of issues against me. And because I've grown up in this world, I've tend to thought, you know what? If you have a problem and you're not willing to come to me, it's your fault. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, look at Matthew chapter 5. It says, verse 23, 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. You know what this tells us? God prefers us, he he prefers reconciled relationships above praise. God prefers, he has a, he prefers you. We, we, had a, uh, we had a guy at another church. I got a lot of stories about conflict, praise God. But we had a guy at another church, and um, him and his wife had had an issue at their house. And he was like, well, fine, you know what, I'm going to go to church. And so he came to church, and then she came like an hour later, and she sat on one side, and he sat on another. We didn't know. We just thought, you know, maybe they just drove two cars. And, and so then we, we ended up uh, going out to eat with them after. Just coincidentally, we just were eating with them after. And I said, hey, why are y'all driving two cars? Y'all just, y'all crazy. Y'all just ain't got no kids driving two cars. All right. Just, I'm just, you know. So then they start telling me, they're like, nah, well, what happened was she was mad at me, and she, she, she said she didn't want to talk, and so, so I just bolted. I came to church because I came to come to the house of the Lord and get my life right with the Lord, you know what I'm saying? And just, she got to get it right on her own. And then she came, and she was like, well, I just couldn't believe the things he was saying and all this and all that. And so while we were talking, I opened up this verse, and I said, you know, you would have been more blessed to stay at home and have a quiet time with your wife than come to church. Do you understand that God is not excited when you are giving him praise and your wife is at home broken? He, 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 he knows who he is. 
He doesn't, he, he, praise is something that is, that, is, that is invoking in us a reminder of who God is. God is not being reminded in our praise. He's not being reminded through our ministries, through all the different things we do. He's not being reminded. We are reminding ourselves. So just realize this. That tells you the value of entering into conflict for the sake of worship. That is worshipful. Because it's, it makes a statement about who he is. In the pre-approach, one of the things, again, look for tensions. It doesn't matter. Don't get caught up in who goes to who and whose fault is the most. Just find the problem. Find the problem. Dig into the problem. Now, questions to consider before you approach someone. If you're thinking, you know, is it worth it to go to them? Is this person dishonoring God? Is there something biblical that they're just clearly doing that's, that I just need to talk to them about? And they think it's right, but it's really against God's ways. Is it damaging our relationship? Is this going to change the way that I see them? Can we not operate the same way, no matter how big or how small? No matter how big or how small, I don't feel like I can be the same with them if I don't talk about this. Is it hurting people? Are people coming up to you and saying, man, whenever they do this, I don't know if they mean to do it or not. It's just, it's just bothering people. It's really wearing on people. Or are they hurting themselves? Are they putting themselves in a position to be thought of as less than? And so this puts you in a position to at least think through and pray through those different questions to keep in mind. Ultimately, there may not even be a question on there. Ultimately, you are asking God to give you the courage and the wisdom of making this approach because it should always be difficult. I'm actually concerned when there are people who are excited to confront. If like that fills your tank, like you love confrontation, you need to check yourself. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourselves, lest you too be tempted. So the Bible just flat out says, when it's talking about someone being caught in a trespass, it gives the imagery of someone like an animal who's been caught by a trap and they can't get out and they've been caught. And, it, and the Bible goes on to say, well, you could be in the same situation yourself one day. You don't have a higher level of righteousness. So it, the Bible's saying be gentle because you could find yourself in this situation as well. Because sin is pervasive. And never, never shortchange how far sin can take you. Never shortchange that. Never, I ne whenever I see a pastor fall into adultery, fall into embezzlement, you know, when, I'm very careful to presume that could not be me. I'm very careful. When I see marriages failing, I'm very careful to think that can't be me. When I see kids falling away from the Lord, I'm very careful to think that couldn't be my kids. I don't have a lot of trust in my nature, right? I, I believe that I am, I'm, I'm flawed by nature, so I think I could fall off the wagon one day. It says a lot about you, the spirit in which you go by. And this, this verse really speaks to humility. A humble approach says 
that I am only going to you to steward this moment because I want the best for you and I want you to be in a restored relationship with God and a restored relationship with people and I'm coming to you very delicate. But I'm not sitting there with the spirit of not being able to wait. But I want to be gentle with you because I'd want you to be gentle with me. Well, so that's the pre-approach. A humble spirit thinking through questions, praying through different ways in which I could make sure that this is the right way, that I have the right things to say. In the approach, Matthew 18, verse 15, in that verse, Jesus has been talking about how there's a shepherd who will go after one and leave the 99. So he's saying that he'll pursue someone who has been wayward and gone off. And then in the midst of him talking about that in Matthew 18, 15, Jesus then begins to talk about what if someone were to have a trespass against you. And so this is the approach. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Why do you think the Bible says do it alone? Why do you think the Bible is actually encouraging doing it face to face? Because misunderstanding is rampant when you write it. Misunderstanding is rampant when there are other people there. People are more willing to become defensive when they think you are trying to get a one-up on them because there are other people in the room. People are more willing to become defensive when you write words and they can, you can put all the emojis you want. But if they don't see your, there's something about seeing your face. I'm telling you, I can't meet with everybody, but I will FaceTime you in a hot second because I want you to see my face. I want you to see, I want you to feel what I'm saying. There's something about my eyes. My tone and inflection doesn't tell the full story. My words don't tell the full story. I need to use all the vehicles of communication that I can when we're in a delicate situation. Handle with care. Handle with care. Whether it's conflict, handle with care. Use every level of communication you can. And that would mean we need to meet face to face. Not only do you need to be face to face and alone, but you need to be specific. It, it, it says the brother sins against you, but the way it's talking about it, it's just talking about an issue, not multiple issues. And it could be multiple issues, but be specific. Do not use a shotgun approach. When you take an approach and you sit down and you decide that you are going to list all the things the person has ever done against you, you need to focus in on a couple of things. Because let me tell you, anytime I have been rebuked, it's always hard. 
It's never easy. My mind is racing. My heart's beating fast. I'm, I'm losing, you know, I'm getting, losing spit, and I'm just like trying to take it in, and I'm getting frustrated, and I'm, I got this war going on in my mind. I'm becoming defensive but pretending not to. All that stuff is going on. And so because we're not just trying to find fault, we're trying to find the tensions, I'm just, you, you can't win every single issue in one moment. You need to be specific about what, you're, what the main thing is. What's the main thing? So it's important that um, even though the Bible says in Matthew 18, go to them privately, sometimes it is good to go to other people first because you're trying to work your way to them. It, it is good to maybe write it out first because you're trying to work your way to them. But if you are constantly going to other people, if you're constantly writing it out, but you're not having a heart change, in other words, you can't be in a full relationship with them, then you need to talk to them. There are people that I've had issues with, and I've overlooked it because over time, my heart healed. It really wasn't a big deal. But there are people that I just can't get past this. Yeah, I can't get past it. It's petty? Okay, it's petty. But I can't get past it. Then I'm I'm petty. I can't get past it. I can't move on. And since I can't move on, and I love you, and moving on means moving with you, then I, I'm, I got to talk to you about it. Because I want, I want you. I want to be in relationship with you. So I can't move on. So we got to talk through it. The other thing, <clears throat> when, you, when, you, when you approach someone and you're, you're you're alone with them in that moment, you want to affirm the relationship. If you're married, you know, you want to first tell the person, sweetheart, I love you. You know, I I know we can work through anything, but I just, I'm starting to feel something. I'm starting to sense something. When you said this, this really bothered me. But the first thing I'm doing is I'm not making the issue the primary subject. I'm really making us the issue. And so I want to affirm the relationship. I want to say, baby, we're going to work through this. You know, oftentimes, um, and again, people who know me know, I always say, listen, um, there have been times when I've been in conflict and we've closed the door and been in there for hours, and I will tell people, I'm willing to stay here another four hours, three hours, six hours. I'm willing to talk more because I want them to know my time is not like, I don't, I don't, there's nothing more valuable than them. I'm willing to work through this with you. So I start, I start the conversation. Hey, I want you to know, we got an issue, but I want you to know, I want to work through this because I love you, and we, we're going to work through it. I started off that way. I affirm the relationship. Oftentimes, though, it's different, though, if it's a parent or a boss. Then it's not just affirming the relationship, it's honoring who they are. Because if they're an authority figure over you, then there's going to be an implicit tension in there if you are not acknowledging that, that hierarchy there. So it's important that you say, listen, you know, if, you, if it's your boss, I love working here or I'm having challenges working here, but I want to have a great working relationship with you and I, and I, I know that you are my leader and I affirm that. I just want to say that right now. You are the leader and that's clear, but... I'm having some hard issues with following you in this issue. Mom, Dad, listen, I love you. You guys 
have done so much for me in my life, and I truly, truly care for you. But because I care for you, I need to talk about this. And you affirm the relationship or you honor who they are. But you establish that early on to take away the tension. Oh, Lord, glory, but above all else, listen, saints, hear me when I say this. Okay, y'all listen. Make observations, not accusations. Why don't we say that together? <laughs> Just let's, let's say it together. Make observations, not accusations. Oh, saints. It's not worth having a conversation if you already know my intentions. Why are we even talking if you know how I feel already? When you begin to rattle off uh, accusations, then really it becomes a combative dialogue. But when you start saying things like, I feel, I notice, I've been wondering, I sense, I see, then what you're saying is, I have not come into this conversation with full knowledge. I've actually come into this conversation to understand. And now, we've come learning together. Learning, you're learning me and I'm learning you and we're learning together versus you already know. So, let's just, let's just forget any kind of discovery so if you don't have a spirit of discovery, there's gonna be a spirit of defensiveness and it's not gonna be a good conversation and you won't wanna have conflict ever again. Praise God. Make observations, not accusations. Caveat to that. There are times when you know a person did it and you know they did it, but you don't know why. You don't fully understand why. And I, I, nine times out of 10, when I've had hard conversations with people, there's always been a backstory. There's always been a backstory. There's something I said that resonated with something that someone else said, and that sounded the same, and so the intentions and the motives feel the same. But I'm not them, and I didn't know I was doing that. Or, you know what, I did say that, and I meant that, because I feel you were doing that. Well, well what do you mean? And we start going back and forth, but it's, it's okay, and, then, and, then, and in the middle of those moments, I immediately apologize. I apologize for the way they feel. Even if I wasn't intending to do it, I apologize because they feel that way. It is, it is one of the hardest places of maturity I've had to come to as a Christian. When someone thinks they have a fact against me and it's untrue, I have to look beyond those facts and look at the way they feel. I didn't want to hurt you. I love you. That was not the intended consequence. And you have to work in your heart and mind to know that I truly value you. And I want, I want us to work past this. The feelings of the other person matters. It matters. That's not the way we grow up in society. As I said before, it's on them. Houses we grew up with, cultures we come from, 
businesses and jobs that we've had. If you have a problem, it's on you. And yet, in the body of Christ, we weep with those who are weeping. And if I have caused pain to you, I, I am so sorry. And if you are causing someone pain, now, let me, before I say this, there are times when I've hurt someone, and although I didn't want to hurt them, I knew I was saying hard truths. And so I, I, I reconciled, man, I, I didn't want it to hurt, but I know that it's hard to hear, Right? But when I've hurt someone and I've had that unintended consequence, I want them to know I, I would never want to intentionally hurt you for the sake of pain. And I double down on that. And I make sure that they know that they're loved and cared for. So we make observations, not accusations. I said this in the midst of it, but I think it's valuable for me to just repeat again. So it is important that you value the way they feel because their feelings are important. Matthew 18 and 16 goes on to say, if he does not listen, take two other people along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. At this point, things didn't go well. Wasn't a good meeting. <laughs> Why? If you look in the verse before and the verse after, listen. They just didn't listen. Yeah, I went to them and didn't go good. Yeah, I say it's just, I, I did it. I made observations, not accusations. I did all that. They didn't listen. Yeah, they didn't listen. And so the scripture says then, Bring two other people with you. The key word there is witnesses. They are not your lawyers. These people are not doubling down. They're not like, you're not triple teaming this person so that now they're really going to know they're wrong. In fact, they may not say anything. The point is, is that those people are there to witness the encounter. And there may be a level of mediation they bring to it. But the point is, is that you're bringing other people there because you want this person to know their love, but I don't think you can hear me, so maybe having other people here can help this situation. Now, obviously, if, they're, if we're dealing with issues of abuse or anything like that, and a wife is confronting a husband, yes, you need to bring other people there from Jump Street. Or maybe you feel like this person has a better verbal ability than you, or maybe there might be a language barrier, then it's important to bring other people with you. So there are other elements where you go to this first instead of going to Matthew 18, 15 first. But the point is, is that now there are other people there, and now this is the tense moment. But those other people that you choose make a difference. These are objective, God-fearing people who are in search for the truth and not just your friends who are trying to make you feel better. These are objective, spirit-filled people. If you can't find those people, then you need to find that in the church. And if you can't find that in the church, then you need to find that in the leaders. And if you can't find that in the leaders, then you need to go to a different church. Because if you don't think your leaders are objective, then you've got a problem. <laughs> so... Now you're talking it through. The scripture um, goes on 
we won't go into detail with it now, but the scripture goes on in Matthew 18 <coughs> to talk about um, bringing it before the whole church. And really, this is a text used for church discipline. And the essence of that is that there are times when people are just going rampant in sin and they're not listening to anybody. And you may need to have them removed from the body of Christ. And those are extreme situations that happen sometimes. But the principle in that is this. There comes a point where you bring other people into it. Maybe you even bring some more people into it. But you've come to the realization that either we're going to move to restoration or we are going to move towards separation. We just can't have a relationship anymore. I don't think you're willing to, to work through this. You're not willing to listen. You're not listening to me. And, 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 and we've brought other people in, and we just can't be in a relationship. And this is the end. This is the very far end. Very, very, very few times I've ever been in that situation. More times than not, people over time, and it may take time after time to talk through things, but you keep talking, you keep talking, you keep working, and eventually the people's hearts begin to warm to the idea that you love them and that they're willing to work through it. But if not, then there comes a point where you may need to just end the relationship altogether. Now, if we're talking about marriage, this is a whole different context. You need to work towards the end of, you know, you need to work having counseling and things of that nature. That's a different situation. Really important then to know this. At the end of this text in Matthew 18, verse 20, it says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Have you heard that verse before? You heard that verse before, right? You ain't never heard it in the context of conflict. It's always talking about worship. It's always talking about praise. It's always talking about conjuring up this sense that God is tangibly here. When I was growing up, Psalm 22.3, the praise and worship leader would always talk about how God inhabits the praises of his people. You've ever heard that? He comes and he enthrones the praises of his people. And we, we're just like, yes, God is here. He's here. He's here right now in the praise. But do you know what he's saying here? He's saying God inhabits the conflict of his people. That when two or three people are sitting down, it's, 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 it's me and you, two of us are sitting down and we're gathered in the name of Jesus and we're working through an issue, he says, I'm right there. I'm in the midst. And maybe we don't do conflict well in the body of Christ because we're so busy trying to get people to lift up their hands vertically that we don't get them to lift their hand horizontally and to look over to their brother and sister. In other words, aren't you encouraged when Mark and the other leaders lead us in praise and you feel that tangible sense God is here and you feel, oh, I'm worshiping now. Worship is a heart's posture. Worship is how I feel about God. Worship is how I respond to his grace, how I respond to his forgiveness, how I respond to his goodness. It is not enough to respond vertically to the forgiveness, grace, and goodness of God. You must respond horizontally. And God is there powerfully when you go with courage to confront. 
When I was at my first church, I was 29 years old, nervous, confronting an older gentleman, nervous. And I read in a book one time, this pastor said, you know, when I, when I confront someone that I think won't listen to me, I pull a chair out and I put the Bible on the chair. And before we start talking, I say, hey, I'm really glad we're here to meet. So glad we're all here. It's me and you. But I just want to remind you of Matthew 18 and 20. The Bible says me and you are here and Jesus is here too. And I left the seat for him. <laughs> I put a Bible right here just to remind us of what we're doing. I pray that you feel the courage to go. He is with you in your going. He is honored. And if you stammer and if you stutter and if your mind becomes fluttered and if you get confused, know God is with you. In fact, I'm more encouraged when people feel uncomfortable than when they go in there confident because you understand the delicate, how delicate the moment is. But lastly, above that, Know this, Romans 12 and 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do all that you know to do. And maybe one of the most encouraging verses for me, after I've dealt with somebody, I thought to myself, as far as it depends on me, have I done everything I know I can do to be at peace with him or her? Have I made one more call, one more text? Have I reminded them of my love for them again? Am I willing to meet again? In, in other words, have I done all that I can? Have you done all that you can? The brothers and sisters around you, have you done all that you can? Have you done all that you can? Have you done everything you could do to be at peace? If there's one more thing that you could do, what would it be? We are going to have a, uh, a moment of communion. And that communion time will remind us of the great sacrifice of Christ. The blood pouring out and the body being broken. But I encourage you, just as last week, some of you went back into the back last week and prayed about something that you need to pray about again. You just need to pray about it again. And so two things are going to happen. The worship team is going to come up, and after the worship team comes up, I'll lead us in a time of some people having communion, reminding themselves of the great sacrifice of Christ, but then others need to go to the back and be prayed for and prayed over. And maybe you just need to say the name of a person. You can't get into it, but you just need to say their name or you need to talk it through. But both things will happen and I encourage you today to pray through it, to talk it through. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus in our lives. We thank you for the presence of Christ in every, in any conflict. Oh God, you do inhabit the praises of your people, but you inhabit our conflict. You're right there. You're right there, God. Holy Spirit, would you, in the name of Jesus, God, would you give our people the reminder through 
our communion time of your great sacrifice for us. And then, God, would you also pull people, push people back to pray? But, God, would we be a church known for our love? Known for our love. Known for being patient. Known for working it through. Holy Spirit, change us. Change us, God. Change us. There's, there's, there are many strongholds in our heart that need to be broken this afternoon. Change us, God. There are many families that have been fractured because the unwillingness to speak. Change us, God. There are marriages that need healing because an unwillingness to lower our pride and listen. Change us, God. There, there are ways that we are teaching our children conflict. They are learning our broken conflict methods by watching us change us, God. Change us so we could change the city. In a divided world, what would it look like if they saw a unified church, a diverse, unified church, a church known for their love for God and love for one another? and not defined by an ethnicity or a political posture, not defined by music or preaching, but defined by love. Bring us back to that. Bring us back to that, God. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at BridgeChurchNYC or visit our website, BridgeChurchNYC.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.